invite you to take your, past, your uh, Bibles and turn back to the passage in John 3. Conrad read those three verses, that's why I asked him to do, because those are the three verses that we're going to focus on, and the focus is even sharper than that because it's the word must. You can see on the screen that the mission of must, we're taking a break from our James series and going to spend these five Sunday mornings in the month of October for Missions Month to talk about our mission, and more particularly, not only as a church corporately, but your mission individually as a Christian. Let me start by saying that everyone in this room this morning has a must. Rochelle Burns, who is a PhD in psychology, says that you feel, you feel fulfilled by following your must. Your must is your purpose in life. It's what you are really all about. Um, I don't think it's a reach to say that you are your must. I mean, it really is one and the same. Your must is not something that you just do, or really it's more something that you are. And what you are promotes or produces what you do. It's not only your purpose, but a must is also your passion. It's, let me just tell you, you can figure out what your must is because when you have a must, it's not something that you consider to be optional but essential. It's not peripheral in your life, it's central in your life. It's not something that you do occasionally, it's something that you do continually. So let me say it to you another way. There is a difference between having a might in your life or a maybe in your life and having a must. A might and a maybe are things like you do that are hobbies. Hobbies aren't musts in your life. They're not something that you have to do every day. It's not something that your life is focused on and you spend all your time and money and energy working on it. It's something you enjoy. It's something that you might or maybe that you'll do from time to time because you enjoy it. But it's not your must. You know, hobbies are like painting or like uh, knitting or like collecting baseball cards. But they're things that you could do but they're not things that you're compelled to do. I've never said, heard someone say that I am devoting my life to crocheting. I've never heard that. I've never said someone, never, no one's ever said to me, my must is macrame. It's going to be that. But a, see, a must is different than. It's more than any maybe or might that might be in your life. But here's the problem for us as Christians. Too often, God's people can confuse mights and maybes and musts as being the same. See, often, too often, we conflate them, and that means we flatten them, that we don't really see or we don't live our mights and maybes. They're not any different than one another. And, 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 and the worst part might be that even at times we sub, substitute or reverse them. And what should be a must in our life becomes a maybe. And what is a maybe in our life becomes a must. And when that happens, communities don't get the gospel. People who are in darkness remain in darkness. People that are on their way to a Christless eternity end up in a real place called hell. See, we marginalize our must, and we do at the price of the souls of men. And when we minimize our must, 
We are maximizing the people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Too often, and maybe this is you this morning, and I'd like you to think about it, it's not because we're doing bad things. It's not bad things that we substitute for must. And sometimes it's just the fact that we are desensitized or we're distracted from what we really should be all about. As one author said, we let good things become God things. And our must becomes, if you allow me to say, a bust. It really doesn't amount to anything in our lives. And I hope you're asking the question by now, why, Pastor Walker, why does that happen? If it's very obvious that the mission of God through Jesus is the must of the scriptures, why aren't we really on it? Why is it that we can go days and perhaps weeks, months, and years before we ever witness to anyone, before God ever uses us to reach someone with the gospel? Why does that happen? Well, let me say this. Part of the reason is, is because of where we look to find our must. Where are we looking? Where are you looking this morning to find the purpose for your life? Why do you exist? Now, we have a mission statement at our church. We exist as a church, to be a community of disciples that glorifies God by loving Him supremely and others sacrificially. See, that's our statement, our mission of must. Because if you don't have one of those in your life, then you'll get off target and you won't be able to be able to make wise decisions about directions and expenditures and what your priorities are. If you don't know what you're doing, you won't know how to do it. See, the problem with Christians is it's not that we don't know what we're doing. We don't do it. Why? Because we may be looking in the wrong place for that must. See, there are some people, and I call this self-source. There are some people who turn inward to find their mission of must. And through that, I mean they are looking for personal peace. Maybe you're here this morning. You know, I'm surprised. Actually, I'm never surprised about how many people come to church because they've gone everywhere else and tried all kinds of other things, and they're looking for inner happiness. They're looking for the thing that will bring them fulfillment that will bring them the peace that they're looking for. And so some people, in order to find their must in life, their purpose, look inside themselves, only to be sorely disappointed. There are some people who do the opposite. They don't turn inward. They turn outward. And they think that they can be fulfilled and that they're going to have the peace that they're looking for. See, they turn outward, and so they find it in their wives and they find it in their children. And so what becomes central in their life, what is really what they're all about, because that's the mission of must. See, it's their kids and their kids, and they promote them and their games and their education. And, and, and so their whole life and their schedules all revolve around their kids. See, not bad things. Some do it through personal achievement or accomplishment, whether it's to be known for their sports abilities or talents or their education or their degrees behind their name or their career success or the fame or the position they have. See, they turn outward. They think if they could get the promotion, if they could get the title, if they could get everybody's respect, if they could get the next level, the next amount of money that they need, that that's where it's going to come from. That's their purpose in life. And they turn outward to find it. But there are a small group of people, Christians, They don't turn inward and they don't turn outward to find it. They turn upward. See, they find their must that's not in themselves. The source of it is not a self-source or a other's source. It's a God source, see. See, Christians are people who get their must from the life of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it means to be a disciple of the Lord. It's to let go of your must. 
to let go of your personal purpose, what you think your life should be all about, to let go of yours and to adopt his. That's what it means to be a Christian. And when that happens, here's what people experience. The things that were maybes to them become musts. And the things that used to be must to them become maybes. You know why? Because knowing Jesus and being on mission with him changes everything. Don't turn there. But in Acts, this is so illustrated so well. It's not our text this morning. But it says of Paul the apostle, who wasn't always Paul, he was Saul. And he said, before I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, here's what my must. And he actually uses the word. Acts 26.9 says, I myself was convinced that I must do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. He said, here's my must. Here's what I had to do. This is what compelled me in life. My life was built around this, tearing down Jesus and everything that had to do with him. That was my must. But on the Damascus road, when the light shines from heaven down to him, in Acts 9, verse 6 and verse 16, he's not the one deciding what his must is anymore. Jesus is telling him what his must is. And he says to him in those two verses, Go and tell him what things he must do for me. Verse 16, Ananias, go and show him how much he must suffer for my sake. See, his must was totally transformed to making others suffer because of Jesus to being himself suffering for Jesus. I mean, you can't get much more revolutionary than that. And I believe as your pastor, that if we are going to reach Hamilton and the surrounding community and beyond that to the global emphasis that we try to have, it's not going to happen unless God's people who call on his name believe that we have a radical mission of must that comes from Jesus. That's what we are really all about. So our goals, my goals at least for this sermon series, is twofold. That corporately, that we would see that we as a church are on a mission of must. And all the choices we make, whether it's the service times, whether the things we do or don't do, the things that we emphasize, the things that we're trying to do in our church, all are because of the must. They're not about my likes and your likes and your agenda or my agenda because we've gotten rid of our must. We've subjugated it to Jesus's. See, that's why we do what we do and make the decisions and the directions and the vision we have. Not because it's my likes and yours, it's because we're on a mission and it's his And corporately, I want us to see that more clearly than ever before. But also individually, I want you to evaluate, starting this morning, your life and say, hey, what am I individually, my family, my marriage, what are we really about? I mean, really about. Whose mission, whose must drives our lives? Now, in doing these things, I want to use the Gospel of John all throughout the month of October. And you're going to find in every, the pa- every one of the passages we looked at, the word must is going to be emphasized. It is called the divine die, and the word D-E-I in Greek means must. It means a necessity. It means something that you have to do. Have you ever wanted something in your life? You ever dreamed of being a part of something that gets you out of bed in the morning and keeps you up at night? I mean, something bigger than yourself, something that you can give your life to, something that you'd be willing to sacrifice for, something that controls you and your agenda and your purposes and your finances and your life that brings the greatest fulfillment in ways that you could never have thought possible or imagined. That's what I'm embarking, we're embarking on in the month of October. That's what I'm inviting you through Jesus to enter into. And through that, we're going to look at Nicodemus this morning. Chapter 4, we're going to look at the woman at the well. 
The third week, we're going to see the man born blind in John 9. We're going to talk about other sheep from the other fold that Jesus has in John 10. And lastly, what it means for Jesus' death and resurrection and how that's the center of everything in chapter 12. But all of these passages are going to talk about the mission of must. So bear with me this morning. We're going to unpack John 3, if you're there. All three of the verses that have been read as our scripture have the word must in them, not just in English, but also in the original. And the first two are connected in this way. We're going to talk about Jesus and his message of must. And I want to talk to you if you need Jesus as your Savior, but I want to talk to you also as a Christian this morning, that if you're on this mission, you're going to have a message, and it's going to be a message of must. And I want to show you how you can do that every day in your life as you share that message with others. The last or the third must in verse 30 is going to talk us about the method of must. What does my life have to look like if I'm going to be used by God to share and spread this message of must? So let's unpack them, can we? Uh, One at a time. The first one is Jesus' message of must. He says in chapter 3 in verse 7, He reads, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is fest, verse six, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Our verse, do not marvel. Don't think this is amazing. Don't think this is outrageous that I say to you, you must be born again. See, the mission of must, I call it the Jesus journey, It's going to take us places. These five passages are going to take us to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. We're going to talk about religious and non-religious people. We're going to see stories about men and stories about women. We're going to see people who come to see Jesus about his mission of must. They're going to come at nighttime and they're going to come in the daytime. We're we're talking about we're going to meet Jewish people, half-Jewish people, non-Jewish people. It's going to take us to the temple. It's going to take us to a well. It's going to take us to a cross. And it's going to take us to a tomb. And the reason I say all that is I want you to think this. Where has the mission of must in my life, if I have Jesus's at all, where has it taken me lately? Is it taking you anywhere? I look back with awe at God's kindness because in my life, the mission of must has taken me to all kinds of different places and have introduced me to all kinds of different people. I went through, even just since I've came to Faith Baptist Church, I've been to, before faith, I've been to England, Colombia, Ecuador, Philippines, Haiti, Panama, and other places outside of America. I've been to so many different places in America. I've met black people, white people, brown people, Asian people, Indian people. I've had relationships with homeless people, gang members, people who are hooked on alcohol, heroin, immoral people, moral people, religious people, people who don't want anything to do with God. Can I tell you this? One of the things, one of the ways you can know whether you're on the mission of Christ, the mission of must, is it takes you places. Places that you don't sit down like a vacation and say, oh, yeah, here's who I'm, pl- I'm planning to go here, and this is who I'd like to meet with today. It, it, it's not like that. But when you're on mission every day, it takes you places Places that are so out of your comfort zone. People that are so out of your comfort zone. See, where is it taking you? Who is it introducing you to? 
See, if you let God put you on the mission of must with him, with Jesus every day, it's going to take you to all kinds of different places, all kinds of different people that you're going to come to. And when you come in contact with them, here's what Jesus did, and we see it in the example of Nicodemus. You'll speak to them about two main things, okay? Catch both of them this morning. Jesus is going to speak to Nicodemus about truth, and he's going to speak to him about love. And when we witness the people as a church, people, all kinds of different people in all kinds of different places, listen, we want to do both. Not one or the other, but both. Let me show you what I mean. The chapter begins with introducing Nicodemus. He is called a ruler, if you look in chapter 3, verse 1, a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. He's respected. Everyone looks up to him. Jesus calls him later on down the passage in verse 10 or so. He's the teacher of Israel. He is a theologian and a scholar. He is well looked up to. He is moral. He is religious. He is godly in no sense, but he's lost. He comes and he doesn't know what to make of Jesus. Have you ever been there? He says, you're a teacher, Jesus. He calls him rabbi. It means he respects them. And he respects them because he says, no one can do the things that you do unless God is with them. He says, you say things, and I know that your teaching comes from God. So he looks at Jesus' words, he looks at Jesus' works, and he's open-minded to it. He's having a dialogue with Jesus. He arranged the meeting. See, he is not a man that's opposed to Jesus like a lot of other people. He doesn't hate Jesus. He's interested in Jesus. He doesn't know what to make of Jesus. And so the Bible says and makes it very clear that he comes to see Jesus, listen, at night. Now, that may not mean much to you, and you can have all kinds of things in your mind. Maybe it's clandestine. Maybe he didn't want anybody to know what he was doing. He was secretive about it. But the theme of John's gospel from the very outset, the very first verses, all the way through the end, is light versus darkness. When Judas betrays Jesus in chapter 13, it says, He went out from the Lord's Supper, and it was night. See, here's what the gospel of John is all about. Light versus darkness. Jesus has come into the world, therefore light has come into the world. Now listen, what John is saying about Nicodemus is he has outwardly, he appears to have all the things that everybody, he has his act together spiritually. It looks like that. It looks like he's probably a guy that's in the light. He's respected, he knows the Bible, he's religious, he's faithful to synagogue. He does all, you see, on the outside, he looks like he's light. But he comes to Jesus at night. You know why? Because truthfully, on the inside, perhaps like some of you, he's still in the dark. You know why he's in the dark? Because he hasn't figured out who Jesus is yet. He really hasn't figured it out. See, when you witness on the mission of must with Jesus, you're going to come in contact with a lot of religious people, a lot of them, and they may look by all appearances and by your conversations with them that they have their act together. But the reality is, unless they really know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're in the dark. And so here's what Jesus does. He speaks a truth to him. And here's the truth that Jesus says to Nicodemus. And it's just kind of almost like he cuts him off. Nicodemus is saying all these nice things about Jesus. And he says, unless... You, you have to be from God because no one could do these things unless God was with them. And that sounds so nice. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, well, thank you. That's so nice. No, he doesn't say that. You know what he says? Nicodemus, verse 3. Look at it. He says, you say unless. Now let me say unless back to you. Verse 3 of chapter 3 says, truly I say unto you, unless 
You are born again. You can't see the kingdom. And that must have just thrown him back. Jesus, I'm saying all these unless. And then you come back with a different unless. And you tell me I need to be born again. See, the phrase born again literally in the Greek means born from above. You know what the first thing Jesus tells Nicodemus is? See, you've been born physically, Nicodemus. That makes you a Jew. And by the way, you are God's people. But Jesus would tell him this. I want you to know, Nicodemus, you know why you're in the dark? Because being born physically a Jew is not enough. That must have blew him out of the water. See, if you are born Baptist, it's not enough. You were born Catholic into a Catholic, it's not enough. But my family is moral, and my mom and dad went to church, and my mom and dad professed to be Christian. It's not enough. Jesus says, if you're born from below, that's enough to get you to see and enter the kingdom of man, but it's not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven, he says. Jesus uses this little analogy of below and above in another place, in John 8, 23, and he's talking to the religious leaders and he says, you are from below the earth. I am from above. And then he qualifies. You are from this world. I am from another world. In other words, you're all, all you all know is heaven. I, I mean, earth. I'm from heaven. And see, the, the above and below analogy he's using with Nicodemus, you know what it's about? It's a, it's a conversation about origins. It's a conversation about source. And here's what Nicodemus is missing. He's missing this important something. And Jesus says, here's the problem, Nicodemus. You can't get what you're missing in this world. The earth and everything in it, it doesn't offer the number one ingredient that you're missing. Nicodemus, you've got to start over. And Nicodemus is probably going, are you serious? Look at all the things I've done. Look at the accolades. Look how people see me. I've been, it, it took years, decades to build this up. And you've got to tell me I've got to start over? Yes, you have to be born again. You've got to go back to the beginning you got to have a different origin. The only life you have, Nicodemus, is an earthly one. You need a heavenly one. And so he goes on to talk with Nicodemus and says this. Look at verses 12 and 13. There's only been one person who ever came down from heaven and ascended back up to heaven. You know who it is? Me. Why does he say that? That sounds like a line that just got thrown in there. No, you know what he's telling him? Nicodemus, you need a life from heaven. You need to be born above and I'm the only person who's ever been from heaven to come down here and go back. So guess where you're going to get it? Me. Jesus is saying, and what we need to tell people, see, that you need to be born from above. You need a life, not just a below life, you need an above life. So you know what people are missing when we talk to them? They're not just missing something, they're missing someone. And that is Jesus, the only one who's ever come down from heaven that can give them the life that they so desperately need. We would say this, just tell them, you need Jesus. See, perhaps you're here this morning and you don't realize that. Maybe you thought, I need more religion. I need to be a better person. I need to get a control of some of these habits in my life. You know, I can't be losing my temper like that. And the words that come out of my mouth, and I can't be treating my wife like, and you think if I could just reform myself. 
If I could just have some behavioral modification. If I could just get my act. No, here's what he says. Start all over, Nicodemus. Born again from above. You need a whole new life. And I'm the only one that can give it to you. See, you don't change darkness with darkness, do you? Darkness is only expelled by light. And Jesus says, and I'm it. Okay, Pastor Walker, you said I get it. I get it. Jesus speaks truth, the truth about being born from above. I get it. It's a must. But how would I tell people, how myself, how would I know, how do I get this life from above? How do I be born again? That's the second part that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. He speaks not only love to him, but he speaks truth to him. Look at verse 14. That's our second must. See it in the passage? John 3, 14 says this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, the two musts are connected. The first one in verse 7 presents the need. You have to be born again. But verse 14 shows us how you can meet the need. Jesus meets the need. In other words, because you and I needed life, Jesus needed to die. Because you needed to get from earth to heaven Jesus needed to come down from heaven to earth. And so he tells a story that Nicodemus knew backwards and forwards, but he really didn't. He tells a story about, recorded in Numbers 21 in the Old Testament, about God's people were coming out of Egypt and God had delivered them and they were in the wilderness and they were on their way to the promised land that God had promised to them. But along the way, I'm sure you've never done this, they started to complain about things, right? And where they comp- the food's not that good, and, and there's not enough water, and if you really cared about us, you wouldn't leave us out here like this. We're going to die in the wilderness. And they say this, it'd be better if we went back to Egypt. And God says, oh, Egypt, you want to go back there? You want another taste of Egypt? Well, let, I'm going to let Egypt have another taste of you. And so he sends serpents. See, now, in Egypt, they knew all about serpents. If you looked at the Pharaoh, and if you've ever seen pictures, old pictures, he's got a crown on. But right here, it goes up in a weird thing with all the stripes on it. But it's got a cobra sitting right here. Because the serpent was the symbol of power in Egypt. It was Egypt's power. You remember when Moses first went to Pharaoh and asked for his people to go? And he said, why should I let your people go? And Moses throws the rod of God on the ground and it becomes a a serpent. And what does Pharaoh do? Well, he gets uh, his two guys throw their two rods on the ground, and there's two ser- serpents against one. And what does God's serpent do? Well, he eats them both whole. That must have been cool to watch. <laughs> What's the point of it? Now, your serpent is strong, but your serpent's nothing. Nothing compared. To, why? Because the power to deliver from Egypt can only be found in God. And Israel got in the wilderness and forgot that. They thought it'd be better go back into slavery, back into Egypt. Why? So they could have a better meal. Seriously? But that's what people do. They put meals and food and water above the mission. And they lost track. They forgot all about what they were all about. See? Moses, therefore, God says, I'll save the people because the, the snakes were biting them and they were snake bitten and the poison, it was killing them by, literally by the thousands. So God says, take this pole. A pole was a military standard. It's the thing you carry into battle. It's not just a a random pole. It's a military standard. And uh, on the top of it, he puts this impaled snake. 
He says, if you believe that this snake on a pole, the curse that comes with it, you can believe this. If you look away from yourselves and look to the pole, I'll take away the curse. And so they looked and they lived and people's lives were saved. And here's what Nicodemus has to hear. Here's what the love of God is. Nicodemus, you've been snake bitten. Sin has poisoned you. You are dead because of it. You need a new life. And you know the only way you can get it is Jesus, like the serpent was lifted up, Jesus will be lifted up on a pole. He uses it in a couple other places in Chapter 8 and verse 28 and chapter 12, 32 and 34 about Jesus lifted up. And when Jesus is lifted up, it is technical terms for this. He's going to be put on a cross, crucified, lifted up. If you want to get past the snake-bitten curse, if you want to have the power of God give you life, if you want to be Nicodemus born again, you got to realize that it's only when Jesus has been lifted up. That's why two verses later, after the snake story, here's what God says through Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, who would not die, who would not be poisoned and left for dead because they were snake bitten, but have everlasting life life god loved the world that he gave his son see nicodemus you're going to see me jesus on a pole impaled on a pole and when you see it i want you to know i'm doing it because i love you see that's what our world needs to hear on missions month they need to hear the truth yes you have to be born again it is a must But God knows you can't save yourself. It's not enough. No matter what you have done below, it's not enough. You need some above. And the only way to bridge from here to here is the cross of Jesus. It's the only way. The only way. When I was at a camp, I've told this illustration before, but we went on a hike. It was in North Carolina at a camp called the Wilds. And it was a great, it was a long hike, and it was hot and tiring, but we finally got there. There was this huge thing, probably as big as the inside of this auditorium. It was like a little cavern. You jumped off literally by maybe five or six feet, and the water was all, and the whole place was filled with water. It was beautiful. It took a long time to get there, but it was worth it. So we're all there. We, ha- we wore our swimsuits under our clothes, and we're ready to jump in. And there's probably two, three hundred people standing around this opening, big, huge opening with the water in it. And they're going to blow the whistle and we can jump in. And they said, wait, wait, wait. And right across this, this little pond or whatever you want to call it, this snake was going right across there. And they acted like it was nothing because they were the counselors, right? So the one guy jumps in behind the snake, swims after it, chases it over all the way across the other side. And the snake tries to get away and ro- gets on the rock. And he takes a big rock and he does like this and smashes it on its head smashes it on his head and he takes the head off and takes the body and goes like this. Everybody sees it and then he whips it over into the weeds. And then he blows the whistle. Okay, everybody get in. (laughs) Nobody got in. One kid is standing and says, I'm not getting in. That was a copperhead, which is poisonous. It took him another five to ten minutes to convince us all to jump in. 
Why? Because we weren't convinced. We weren't convinced that the serpent and the poison had really been taken care of. If there's one, maybe there's another. Can I tell you this? You can be convinced. Jesus has taken care of the snake. You know how he did it? Out of love for you on the cross. That's what he did for us. He was lifted up. He used to be lifted up on a throne in heaven above, but he came to be lifted up on a pole below so that you and I could know him and have life in him and the forgiveness of sins that's only through him. So when we speak to people and we give the gospel in Missions Month or whatever it is, we speak the truth. You have to be born again. You must. And we speak love. We speak to them. Jesus is the must. He was lifted up on a pole. Now, how, now Pastor Walker, that's great. I got three minutes left. What about the third must? Well, Jesus says there's not only the message of must, but the messenger or the method. Look at verse 30. How do you live a life like that? How, how do you have a life that Jesus would use to give out that message and that people would actually believe it like Nicodemus would? John, the baptizer, who was the, predecessor, he was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the introducer of the Messiah to the people of Israel. It was his job. Listen, John the baptizer's job, like it is our job as Christians, to introduce Jesus to others and tell people who he really is. And that's what John spent his life doing because he was on a mission. Now look what John's mission of must looks like when it comes to Jesus. Verse 30 of John 3 he must, there's the third use, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now watch what he attaches it to, verse 31. He who comes from above, see, he knows Jesus is the one from above that came from heaven, that had to come to, he knows Jesus is the one that has been being talked about. He knows he's the above one and that we need him to come below because we need him. And he tells people, let me tell you who Jesus is. He is above all. See, he know, it's a must that if you're ever going to be above, you've got to know the one who is above all. John knew that because John knew Jesus. And his life had been changed. And here's what the must that John had that comes out of knowing the above one. He must increase. But I must decrease. You will never be able to live on the mission of must with Jesus without this. You can't. It's the only way to live on the mission of must with Jesus. He is becoming more and you are becoming less. He is becoming bigger in your life and you and your agendas and your wants are becoming less in life. John said, see, Jesus, more people are being attracted to him. They used to be attracted to me. Now it's less for me, more for him. And I'm good with it, see, because my life, I want it to point to him. That's what the mission is. So how, Pastor Walker, how do I give up this and I give up that and I don't do this anymore? Why? Less of you, more of him. He must grow to be more increased. I must grow to be less in my life. His, more, his must is more. My must is less. Too often, though, too often, it's the reverse of that, isn't it? He must decrease, but I must increase. And when that happens, you're not living on the mission of must, are you? 
See, I have to have more of my must. I must get promoted. I must have this. I must have my children do this. I must. And see, because the must is in the wrong place, not because it's bad, but because it's not the number one thing in our lives. See, Jesus gets crowded out. Instead of him going up and us coming down, here's what happens. You ever had this happen? Watch. It's like this. It's like a scale. John is like this. We're like this. Maybe like this. And we wonder why God doesn't use us as a church, perhaps, or maybe God isn't using us as an individual. Why? Because we're increasing, and he's decreasing. And we fit him in when we have margin in our calendar. We don't make the calendar about him. We fit him in because we're still Christians, and we still come to church. And I don't want God to be out of my life, but we keep him on the periphery. He's out in the margins. Why? Because without that must margins become the must and what is on the outside becomes the center and what should be in the center becomes on the outside and our lives point to anything and everything but him they point to our career to our family to our jobs to our retirement see our lives are meant like john the baptizers to point that jesus is the most important thing and my mission is to make sure that that is true in every area of my life but if he is decreasing and we're increasing, that can never happen. So you have to ask, don't you, the first installment, am I on a mission of must? But the question is, where do I look to find that must in my life? What am I really all about? Is that what I'm about every day? Is it Jesus and the mission of must that he was on? Does it take me places and different people? Or is the mission of must I'm on my must? I, my prayer is to God that this morning, some of you would say, Pastor Walker, this is the month where I get the must right. And I'm willing to make the changes. I'm willing to make, take things out of my life. The maybes and the mites, they no longer rule me. Instead, I'm on the must of Jesus. Let's pray. No, no invitation formally this morning, but with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking around, I'm just wondering, would you, if you're a child of God this morning, would you say this? I don't know what it would mean. I don't know what changes would happen. I don't know how it would affect my life, my family, or my future. But I know this. I want to be and I need to be not a convenience, but a commitment. See, I want to be on the mission of must with Jesus. His must, not mine. Pastor Walker, even after this morning, I'm not sure if my life centered around that must. I don't know what would happen. I don't know what would be different. But I want to be on that must instead of mine. And I'm willing, I'm just telling God right now this morning, I'm willing during the month of October, I want to be here at all this, I, I want to be here because I want to hear more about what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it, is all about to be on the mission of must with Jesus. And listen, I'm open to whatever God changes in my life if he shows me what I need to do. I'm open to that, Pastor Walker. I'm willing to listen about that mission of must this week. Would you just, with no one looking, raise your hand, say, that's me. I'm open to that change in my life if God would show me from scripture. Thank you. All over in the balcony, main floor. Anyone else? Anyone else? Before I close in prayer, maybe you're here this morning. And you just don't know him. On the outside, you look like you've got it all together, but on the inside, there's still darkness. And that's really what controls you.
because you don't, oh, you know who he is, Jesus, but you don't know him by faith. You don't have a personal relationship with him. You've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know, stop by after the service this morning, after small groups. Come by this week to the office. Give us a call. Give me a call. I'd be glad to sit down with the Bible and show you what it means to have Jesus be your Lord and Savior, that you can be born again from above. Father, thank you for sending Jesus from heaven to earth. Thank you that the above one became the below one, that he might take the curse of our sins. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We give you glory and honor this morning for God's people who raised their hand this morning, indicating that they're open to you showing them by your spirit through the word what it means to live daily on this mission of must with Jesus. I pray, Father, that it would revolutionize their lives, that it would ignite a spark and a fire at Faith Baptist Church, that even more of the nations might come to worship you and give you the glory and the honor and the obedience that you deserve. Do this wonderful thing in our lives, O Lord, in our church, that you might be preeminent, that you might be exalted as you alone deserve because you alone are God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.